And we read this in chapter 31, verse 1. Now Jacob heard the words of Laban's sons, saying, Jacob has taken away all that was our father's, and from what was our father's, he has acquired all this wealth. And Jacob saw the countenance of Laban, and indeed it was not favorable toward him as before. Then the Lord said to Jacob, Return to the land of your fathers and to your family, and I will be with you. So Jacob sent and called Rachel and Leah to the field, to his flock, and he said to them, I see your father's countenance that is not favorable toward me as before, but the God of my father has been with me. And you know that with all my might I've served your father. Yet your father has deceived me and changed my wages ten times, but God did not allow him to hurt me. If he said thus, the speckled shall be your wages, then all the flock bore speckled. And if he said thus, the streaked will be your wages, then all the flocks bore streaked. So God has taken away the livestock of your father and given them to me. And it happened at that time when the flocks conceived that I lifted my eyes and saw in a dream. And behold, the rams which leapt upon the flocks were streaked, speckled, and gray-spotted. Then the angel of God spoke to me in a dream, saying, Jacob, and I said, Here I am. And he said, Lift your eyes now and see all the rams which leap on the flocks are streaked, speckled, and gray-spotted. For I have seen all that Laban is doing to you. I am the God of Bethel, where you anointed the pillar and where you made a vow to me. Now arise, get out of this land, and return to the land of your family, which would be modern Israel. Verse 14. Then Rachel and Leah answered and said to him, Is there still any portion or inheritance for us in our father's house? Are we not considered strangers by him? For he has sold us and completely consumed our money. For all these riches which God has taken from our father are really ours and our children's. Now then, whatever God has said to you, do it. Then Jacob rose and set his sons and his wives on camels, and he carried away all his livestock and all of his possessions which he had gained, his acquired livestock which he had gained in Padamaram, to go to his father Isaac in the land of Canaan. Jacob was a birthright guy. He wanted the spiritual blessings. But he's learning things. And we talked about this. There's a lot of dynamics that went on for 20 years between Jacob and Laban because Jacob, of course, deceived his father, Isaac, to have the blessings pronounced upon him. And then God allowed him to be deceived by his father-in-law concerning his first wife, concerning his wages, and these things. And these are two dynamics that are working there where, in a sense, Jacob's reaping what he sowed, but God has his back, and Laban's just bringing upon himself the consequences of his action as well, which is true for all of us to this day. Because of all the laws that are universal and absolute in this universe, sowing and reaping is the highest law, even more so than gravity. Sowing and reaping never changes under any covenant, dispensation, human experience, any generation. If we are... If we sow generously, we reap generously. If we're takers, it'll be taken from us. If we're givers, we will sow bountifully and it'll be given back to us. Good measure pressed down, as Jesus said. For whatever a man or woman sows, that they will reap. And we understand that. It's a very clear principle. The one who shows mercy will find mercy and have mercy extended to him. It's just Haman builds a, 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 a hangnoose for Mordecai. But who hung on that, that noose? Haman did. Haman hung on that noose. Mercy, grace, forgiveness, compassion, love, gentleness, meekness, kindness, those are good things to sow. To sow generously and to sow bountifully the kingdom. It's a good seed, and it comes back a good seed. But if we sow a bad seed, it'll come back. But for the redeemed, even when we make bad decisions like Jacob did, 
where there's a consequence, that consequence is a chastening to teach us eternal principles that will benefit us for time, but more importantly, for eternity. What I'm saying is with Jacob, what he's going through with Laban, not only has a purpose for time to refine him, to be changed his name to Israel, to be the head of the Jewish nation, with his 12 sons becoming the 12 tribes, the 12th son yet to come, Benjamin. But he's being prepared for eternity as well. And even in his journey of life, he says things when he first arrives in Egypt of his worldview, few and evil have been my days. And they had been very difficult for him. But then at the very end of his life, when he blesses his adult children and he blesses Joseph and Joseph's children, he has a whole different perspective. So at the end of the journey, when he steps into eternity, he has a a perspective of faith and confidence and peace with the Lord. It took a whole lifetime to get from stealing the birthright for a bowl of beans, which was really just good business when, between him and Esau, deceiving his father to all the things that we're going to still see in this book before we get done by the end of March to be ready to step into eternity because it's all about eternity. But this whole situation with Laban, they're sowing and reaping, and there's all these different dynamics going on. And it's really messy. And I mentioned this already. It's like a wind chime that you can't untangle. How much is Laban to blame? How much is Jacob to blame? But the Lord and the Holy Spirit give us interpretation for God's perspective on these events. So we see in that very beginning that Laban's sons have an evil countenance and speak falsely against Jacob. We know from the interpretation of Scripture, interpreting itself, that what they're saying is not true. God was blessing Jacob. Their accusation that begins this chapter is a false accusation based upon their perspective of God's blessing upon someone and their jealousy of it and their inability to recognize that blessing and even maybe seek the same type of blessing for their life. And we find this in life. So often when you're fruitful at work and you're fruitful in the family and you're fruitful in the community, it's because you've aligned yourself and you've sown the right things and God is with you and you're a person of covenant through faith in Jesus Christ that the blessings are upon you or as Pastor Chuck used to say under the spout where the glory comes out you're in the place where God can bless you and he's giving you favor and he's teaching you things and he's stretching you and you're going through trials but they're they're working together for good and those blessings are on you and other people who don't have that perspective their their perspective of life is limited dimensions It's not multidimensional, the kingdom. They can look at those blessings from within your family and from within your workplace, and their jealousy can lead them to faulty conclusions because, of course, even not the things of the Spirit, and they don't assess the blessings on your life properly. And sometimes they do realize it's the Lord, and they hate it even more because they're fighting the Lord, and they hate the Lord in you. They hate the light in you. Like Jesus said, men don't come to the light because they love darkness and their evil deeds are exposed. So they come to work and they lie and they cheat and they steal and they underperform and they give you an evil eye. And they speak evil against you and speak falsely against you and try and get you fired because they see the Lord in you or they're just jealous because you're prospering with the Lord. Laban's sons, completely wrong in their assessment of the situation and then you get people like that, if it's your own children, and they poison your mind or other relatives or coworkers. Then all of a sudden, Laban, he goes from having a favorable countenance where he looks upon Jacob like, man, I love this guy. And this guy, he's a son to me. Because see, when you have daughters and they get married, you gain sons. I gained a son with Jacob. 
I gained a son with Nate. I love my son-in-laws and their sons, and they're, they're in the estate. You know, they're, they're my boys. I love them. I gained sons. And so you want to look upon your son-in-laws with favor and joy and, and just speak blessings upon them and just hug them every time they leave with the grandkids and just speak a silent prayer over them, whatever. That's how you want to be when, with your son-in-laws. You don't want to look at them with, a, with an evil countenance and feel like somehow they're taking stuff from you. And by the way, most spirit-filled men would want to give everything they have to their son-in-laws for their daughters if they're spirit-filled men. But that's another Bible study. But it's worth considering. The Lord gives. Who can outgive the Lord? He owns the cattle of a thousand hills. It's never about the money. It's about, it's about the giving. It's about being prepared for eternity. Poor Laban's just carnal. He's a, he's a taker. And takers always worry that someone's going to take stuff from them and they haven't learned to trust in the Lord to be the giver and the provider. They can't say the Lord is my shepherd. Jacob could say the Lord is my shepherd. He's got dreams where God tells him, I'm giving you the sheep, the speckled, the spotted, and the gray. They're all yours. I've seen was the Lord is your shepherd's got your back. That's Jacob. He's a, he's a person of covenant. And the blessing's upon him. And this happens. This happens in your life. When you're sowing to the Spirit and you're a woman of the covenant, you're a man of the covenant, and you're fruitful, that it can create jealousy and animosity from any direction horizontally in the human experience. But you can't let that change who you are and how you do business and how you carry yourself. But those changing countenances can be part of God's plan to move you along because you can land at a job and have favor and then suddenly for no reason have disfavor and you know, God's no is louder than his yes. And sometimes we, we move toward comfort, and he's got to create agitation sometimes to get us where we need to go. And after 20 years in Badam Aram, it is time to go home. It is time to go back to Israel, meet the Lord on the journey face to face, have your name changed to Prince of God instead of Heel Grabber, be called Israel, and to begin the next chapter of the glorious redemption of Jesus Christ coming into the world to save lost men and women for all generations. And the promises of God concerning Jesus Christ are all in Jacob. He's the key. He's the forerunner to Jesus. Everything about Jesus is going to come through Jacob. Jesus is a Jew. That's why Matthew's gospel starts with Jesus Christ, the son of Abraham. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. He has to be a Jew. The Messiah of the world that redeems the world cannot be uh, of European descent or African descent in that sense. Or Asiatic he is a Jew. That's very clear. And this is all moving toward that. And God's timing's perfect. There's a time when he sends you away and meets you on the way. And God even said, I'm, the God, I'm God who met you at Bethel when you poured that out with that covenant 20 years ago with me. There's a time when you're on the way out and there's a time when he says, now you go back. Remember what Abraham said to Eleazar, don't you dare take my son, Isaac. Whatever you do, do not take him from the promised land. Do not take my son back to Padamaram and Haran in that region. And Eleazar didn't. And God worked, gave him favor, and Rebekah came to the promised land. But that's what God had for Jacob's dad, Isaac, but not for Jacob. Jacob, with all of his stuff, his journey was going to take him out of the promised land for 20 years to come back to dwell in the promised land and be the next chapter of the great plan of redemption that God had from the descendants of Abraham, the nation of Israel, 
in the promised land. And it's time to go back. So where he's got false accusations against him and disfavor against him, we see that God intervenes and speaks to him and says, I've seen everything. Go home. You look at it right there. The Lord said to Jacob, return to the land of your fathers and your family, and I'll be with you. And what I mentioned about Saturday night about this and what I mentioned tonight is, it's not like Jacob's like, oh, God, what do I do? My father-in-law's against me. My brother-in-law's just, their, their evil eye is against me, and they're accusing me of stealing everything, and you gave all this to me. A man can receive nothing unless it comes from the Lord, John the Baptist said, and what do I do? He, we don't even have Jacob crying out to the Lord. All we have is the Lord saying, hey, return. Return to the land of your fathers and to your family, and I will be with you. And that's enough, isn't it? I mean, what can you add to God saying, I will be with you? What did God promise to him at, at, there at Bethel on the way? I will be with you wherever you go. That's what he promised him. He's just reaffirming the basic promises he made to him 20 years prior when he was fleeing his brother Esau, which is a divine appointment around the corner in the next couple chapters as well. First you got to deal with Laban, and then he's got Esau. Like, there's just no end to drama, right, in the human experience. You get this thing taken care of, and then there's that thing. And that's how life works, so don't let it throw you off. But God says, I'll be with you. So he, he had the dream that affirmed it. God said, I've seen everything he's done to you. I've seen it all. And we talked about this Saturday. God sees, God knows. Now, go back. He tells it to his wives. They're like, hey, we've seen it all. We're with you. Unity in the family. Let's go. And he leaves. And we, he left. And, you know, it was kind of a messy departure. You know, when you leave a job, you want a good departure, right? When you, when you have a family rift and you go separate ways, you want it to be good. When you change dorm stewards or dorm roommates at Bible college or Grand Canyon University or wherever you go to college, you want it to be good. We want things to be amicable. Listen, we know this the older you get. A lot of things in life aren't amicable. You don't get the good ending that you want. You don't get a happy movie ending. I always tell my kids, I don't want to see a movie that doesn't have a happy ending. I can get that every day. If I'm going to spend 30 bucks on a movie, I want a happy ending. <laughs> However we get there. You don't always have an amicable ending on how you might be let go of your job, of how the house how it might go down with the house, that you just have to quick sell or something because it just went, out, it just went this way. Things don't always, in fact, more than not, they don't even come close to going the way you had hoped they go or you want them to go. It's not always daisies and roses in the front garden, and we understand that. What I like about this departure of Jacob is we read that he stowed away, like he just took off, like he fled. In fact, it says he fled. Sometimes that's the way it works. Sometimes you move from the neighborhood, from the community, even a country, you fled. How many people fled Europe? between 1931 and even right into the 40s. It's not, it doesn't always go like a, a happy feel-good that we want to go. How about all those Jewish people who were on the boat, the Exodus, and the U.S. wouldn't take them, and then end up in the Mediterranean, and the, the British mandate's trying to keep them from getting off the ship, and there's 7,000 people on a ship floating around the Mediterranean who had just gotten out of the death camps of the Nazis, and they can't even land in their home country. Sometimes you got to flee, and all you got when you get somewhere is all you got. And we've seen that in our own country, people coming to this country. 
sometimes you just flee a really bad thing and it, and it's not the ending you wanted. You didn't get to say goodbye to your dad, your mom, your brother, your sister the way you wanted to. You didn't get to say goodbye to your boss and your coworkers the way you wanted to. You weren't let go in the way that you hoped. We talked about this in context that it's it's injustices. Man, can you see in any scenario where it's a happy ending with Laban, where it's like, hey, dad, pop, can we have a talk? Can we just, hey, so I want to go home to, to go back. I believe God's calling me. Like, how do you know God's calling you? You ever had that conversation with people? Well, how do you know that? Like, how did God speak to you? Well, I had a dream, and God told me you're ripping me off, and he's showing every type of lamb there is, and they're all mine. What? Like, imagine that at the dinner table. Just, that's why the Bible says as much as up to you, the peace be with all men. And sometimes you have to agree to disagree. It's like Paul and Barnabas. Hey, you go back to Cyprus. I'm going this way. May God bless us both. That's sometimes just how it works. But knowing the human experience, there's just no way that this Laban-Jacob thing was going to... It's, it's, a, it's a tangled chime, and Jacob just went, chop, chop, chop. He cut some things off the chime, just took off, and the chimes were ringing, and Laban hurt, and he came after him. It took him a week to catch him, but that's just the way it goes sometimes. We want a clean closure of sealing of the fruit, and sometimes it is really messy and can be downright ugly. But know this. God told Jacob, go back, and I'm with you. That's the application. Go back, and I'm with you. He knew exactly what he was supposed to do, and he was confirmed that God was with him. So however you do it, flee, stow away, get the kids on the camels, go extra fast, whatever, get to Gilead, cross the river as quick as you can. What he is doing is obeying the Lord. He's going in the right direction, and God is with him because as we go forward in the text, we'll see how God has this rear guard as he's about to face things from the front as well. So, hey, it's not always the ending we want, but when God says, go, I'm with you, what can you add to that? You do the best you can. Don't let it be you that breaks off with people that you're not willing to try and love people and forgive people. Let that be someone else, but do the best you can to obey God, and however it plays out, it plays out. For we must obey the Lord. Now we pick it up. In verse 22, And Laban was told on the third day that Jacob had fled. Then he took his brethren with him and pursued him for seven days' journey, and he overtook him in the mountains of Gilead. But God had come to Laban the Syrian in a dream by night and said to him, Be careful that you speak to Jacob, neither good nor bad. So Laban overtook Jacob. Now Jacob had pitched his tent in the mountains, and Laban with his brethren pitched in the mountains of Gilead. And Laban said to Jacob, What have you done that you've stolen away unknown to me and carried away my daughters like captives taken with the sword? Why did you flee away secretly and steal away from me and not tell me? For I might have sent you away with joy and songs, with timbrel and harp. And you did not allow me to kiss my sons and my daughters. Now you've done foolishly in so doing. It is in my power to do you harm. But the God of your father spoke to me last night, saying, Be careful that you speak to Jacob neither good nor bad. And now you have surely gone because you greatly long for your father's house. But why did you steal my gods? You can't make this stuff up. It's just the way it is. So, notice, if you're Jacob, he's taking a verbal beating. You know, like when people just like, bah, bah, bah. It's like, why did you do this? And why did you do that? And, you know, I might have thrown you a party, really. Like, does anyone in this room think, I mean, that Laban was going to throw Jacob a, a giddy-up and a, a happy farewell send-off party? No. He was going to separate him from his wealth that was rightfully his that God gave him and all these other things, like, 
Man, sometimes you can live, you can make it work, but sometimes you can't. So it's just, but maybe you've been in a situation where you're like, well, if you hadn't quit, you know, we're going to give you a raise. And if you, and what, like you just, people say the weirdest things and the ugliest things. There's good, bad, and ugly in the world. And don't underestimate how often you can see ugly with humanity. This to me is ugly. This is a family thing that's ugly and there's nowhere to hide it. Here's Jacob with his wives, his kids, young adult kids, whatever. They're all there, his employees, his entity, his business, and there's his father-in-law and just screaming at him, railing on him. Why'd you do this? Why'd you do that? I could, we could have had a party. You know, just like, this is the human experience. But then he says, why did you steal the household gods? Well, first of all, Jacob did not steal the household gods. So how's that for an accusation, right? You have all this family drama. You're, you're scared of Laban because he can hurt you. He has, there's more of them mightily than you. And you're not really a man of war anyways, right? Jacob was a tent dweller. He tried to outsmart you on a chessboard, but he's not going to go after you with 300 warriors like his grandfather Abraham did to Chedorlaomer and those cats and beat him and bring back everybody back to Sodom and Gomorrah. That's not Jacob's, really his style, right? You see, even later on when his boys go in and avenge their sister's rape, he's like, ah, oh, you guys. And they're like, what? This guy's raped our, do- our sister, man. Like, Jacob's not, he's not that kind of guy. So he's got a, you know, he's a diplomat. He's got, a, hey, a bowl of beans for your birthright. Like, he's, he's a diplomat guy. He's not a violence guy. Whereas Laban's like a take and a power guy. And he's like, but God stopped him. And when we obey God, and we're going where he's called us to go, and we know he's with us, he'll take care of those people that come against you and against us. And if he doesn't take care of them, there's a reason for it where he's working in you and I for something to teach us through that experience. But he'll take care of them. God is our deliverer. God is our stronghold. God is our high tower. God is our shield. God is our safety. And he's got our back. Even in messy family stuff like this, he's got it. It's in my power to do you harm. Jacob doesn't say, no, it's not. We've got security guys that are black belts. He doesn't say that. (laughs) If someone said it's in their power to do me harm, I'm like, I'll try in Jesus' name, and then I'll call Mike and Randy over. And we'll see how that goes. But we're not really, that's not our style. God's got our back, and you can't add to God's defense for us. And the false accusation, and what do you do about that? And how does Jacob handle it? Why did you steal my gods? Of all the things you could accuse Jacob of, too, think how much that one hurt. Why did you steal my gods? Could you imagine, like, being in front of the the family? Why did you take this from mom or dad? Or why did you take that or this or that? Like, Like, it'd just be so painful. Like, think how hurtful for a guy that trusted in the Lord, had visions from the Lord, who worships the Lord, Like, think how painful that would be to have that kind of an accusation. Nothing could have been further from the truth. Now, for Rachel, that's a whole other thing. That's between her, the Lord, and her dad. Because she did take the household gods. But just thinking about those household gods, don't forget all the things that God says in the Old Testament. Men get a, a tree, they cut it in pieces, they carve it up, they say, this is my God, they put it in their room, and it falls over. And in some cases, they cover it with precious metals. So... 
firm believer that Jesus doesn't need us defending his name in a society. He can more than defend himself in any situation if he wants to. If he wants every need about him as Lord in the United States of America on January 8th, he can sure do it, right? He can do whatever he wants. God's all-powerful, all-knowing. Isn't it sad when people worship their gods and like, my gods, and who took the gods, and these things, these trinkets, like, what? It's a false accusation against Jacob. But this is the contrast between these two men. One's one of the covenant, and his father-in-law has household idols. It's too bad that Jacob's wife took those household idols, unbeknownst to him. But you know, when there's family drama, there's family drama. And messy stuff happens. Things can get messy. You ever seen an estate sale? You ever seen an estate division when people walk through a house and they tag things with their name on it? And then the other people come through and tag it? People tag the same thing? You ever seen that? It's not pretty. Helps to have two or more witnesses for that kind of stuff. Who knows what was going on? Maybe Rachel watching her sister be intimate with her husband for seven years when he worked seven years for her. She's like, you know what, Dad? I'm going to have the final say on you. You took my husband from me and you gave him to my sister and he worked seven years for me and you did not let me be united to my husband on that night, but you gave him my big sister. So here's to you and your worldview. (laughs) That's not that hard to believe. Is it? No, it's not at all. She waited seven years to be with her husband that she loved. And then all the confusing and dynamic of the emotions that took place because of what her father did against her with that. Maybe she just decided when she looked at the estate and the trust, well, you know what? I'm taking the household gods. Boom. And that's what she did. It's not that hard to believe if you know the human experience at this juncture in life. It's very believable. Poor Jacob just like, He's got it coming this way, and he's got Esau around the corner. He's got the Lord descending from heaven, too. He's got, he's got it coming every direction. These are good chapters. Verse 31, then Jacob said, Jacob answered and said to Laban, because I was afraid, I said, perhaps you would take your daughters from me by force. With whomever you find your gods, do not let them live. In the presence of our brethren, identify what I have of yours and take it with you. For Jacob did not know that Rachel had stolen them. And Laban went into Jacob's tent, into Leah's tent, and into the two maidens' maids' tents, but he did not find them. And then he went out to Leah's tent and entered Rachel's tent. Now Rachel had taken the household idols, put them in the camel saddle, sat on them, and Laban searched all about the tent but did not find them. And she said to her father, Oh, let it not displease my Lord, I cannot rise before you, for the manner of women is upon me. And he searched but did not find the household idols. I wanted to chuckle right there. You know, you ever feel like when there's a family thing going on, like they all deserve each other? <laughs> they just all kind of, you know, sometimes just like, man, we just deserve it, don't we? This, this is like, again, you can't make this stuff up. So here's my thought that I thought about this with Laban. Jacob, Jacob has no idea Rachel's taking it. He's like, you can kill the person who took it. You know, like, that's the things you say when you're like, everyone's worked up, Right? Well, you feel that way? You can kill whoever's got them. Go ahead and kill. You find your idols, kill them. If there's anything that's yours, take it. Have your way. Go through every tent. If you think it's yours, take it. 
Whatever you think is yours, take it right now. And if you find those idols, you can kill those people. That's how it gets in these type of situations. Now, Laban's not foolish, and he's not stupid, and he is stronger than everybody here. You have to wonder if Dad did not suspect, because everything else in Jacob's household was thoroughly searched. And the only thing that wasn't searched was that camel's saddle that his baby girl was sitting on saying, oh, daddy, right? So either he's like really stupid or he's kind of being reproved in what he's thinking. Do you really want to kill your daughter? Do you really want the public embarrassment you're going to bring upon yourself if you make your daughter Daddy's princess, get up right now. You know, the daughter you made wait seven years to marry the man she loved because you thought it's all about you and you still think you own everybody and everything, which we'll say later in this chapter. We don't really know for sure, but on that long ride, that 10-day road trip back to Padamaram, I'm thinking, if I'm in that posse and I'm on one of those camels, hey, we search everywhere but one spot where Rachel was seated. So is anyone going to ask Laban here, what do you think? Because those idols were not going to be found back at home, and they weren't going to be find at the, found at the rest stops along the way. They were with Rachel. And sometimes with an estate and, a, and all that stuff, he's like, you know what? I guess we just lost that one, huh? Plus, the good thing about idols, if you're an idolatrous person, is you just go cut down another tree, and you can build yourself another one. <laughs> right? <laughs> That's what God says, not me. That's what he says. Yeah, everyone just slow down a little bit here in the house of Laban and Jacob. A lot, lot of volatility here, and then we're not done yet. Now it's Jacob's turn, verse 36. Then Jacob was angry and rebuked Laban. And Jacob answered and said to Laban, What is my trespass? What is my sin that you so hotly pursued me? Although you searched all my things, what part of your household things have you found? Set it here before my brethren and your brethren that we may judge between us both. These 20 years I've been with you. Your ewes, your female goats have not miscarried their young. I have not eaten the rams of your flock. That which was torn by beasts, I did not bring it to you. I bore the loss of it. You required it from my hand, whether stolen by day or stolen by night. There I was in the day the drought consumed me and the frost by night and my sleep departed from my eyes. Thus I've been in your house 20 years. I served you 14 years for your two daughters and six years for your flock, and you've changed my wages 10 times. And unless the God of my father, the God of Abraham, the fear of Isaac had been with me. Surely now you would have sent me away empty-handed. God has seen my affliction and labor on my hands, and he rebuked you last night. Well, if you like this kind of stuff at the dinner table, it's certainly happening now, isn't it? It's happening. Jacob says, there's no way you're sending me off happy. He didn't find anything that you could take. Look, everything's here. You've pursued me. You've accused me. Here's something interesting about this. Jacob is holding the high moral ground. Let me say that again. Jacob, in this confrontation, 
is holding the high moral ground. And it's not like 20 years ago he thought, you know what, I can't wait for this day 20 years from now so my father-in-law, Uncle Laban, wants to kill me and falsely accuse me that I can stand on a slightly higher mound of dirt in the mountain of Gilead and tell him, hey, whatever. That's not the objective. The objective of the high moral ground is basically to be faithful every day with the Lord. And the fruit of being faithful with the Lord and making more good decisions than bad ones and growing from the bad ones and learning and being refined by the Spirit of God, especially through faith in Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit, is is you naturally, in humility, have a higher moral ground, not so you can be superior than other people, because that's not your objective. We're called to serve, right? Because Jesus came to serve and give his life a ransom for many. But as we serve and as we're givers and as we sow bountifully and as we let others go first and as we trust that God will meet our needs, as you do that, you gain this equity and this wealth that when this situation happens in the family, when this situation happens at work, when this situation happens at church or in the community, suddenly you have the high moral ground. It's not what you set out to do so you can just be right and make people feel foolish so that you can rebuke them or approve them, but you can because you have the high moral ground. When Jacob said, I took this loss, I took that loss, he honored his father-in-law for 20 years. He did not contend with his father-in-law. He submitted when his father-in-law tricked him on Leah for seven years to get Rachel. There's no word of response. He just did it. He put his head down. And I think those seven set the and I think the second seven years were a lot harder than the first seven years when he thought he was working for Rachel, as opposed to the next seven years after being tricked by his father-in-law. But he was faithful. And his father-in-law cheated him ten times. How many times have you been cheated by your family? Have you taken the loss because you're trusting God? that he's got your back and he's your ultimate provider. If it's many, good for you. You, can, you can't go wrong. You cannot give God. The equity is not about how many sheep and goats you return to Israel with. We'll see that in the next chapter. You know, Jacob doesn't care about the sheep and the goats. You realize that? In the next chapter, when Esau's coming after him, he's like, hey, divvy him up, spread him out, give my brother everything. It doesn't mean anything. What matters to him is his wives and his children, his family. That's all that matters to him. Let him have it. Because you get wiser and you learn that the wealth, the real wealth is love and it's people and it's relationships. It's not the possessions that people can steal and take and falsely accuse and cheat from. Change your wages 10 times. Whatever. I feel sorry for the person that changes your wages 10 times, and I feel happy for you if you let it happen and you gave it to the Lord and you trusted him in it. Good for you and bad for them. That's just the truth. And there's a great payoff for all eternity. Turn the other cheek and turn the other cheek and go the extra mile. Good for you. Forgive your enemies. Bless those who persecute you and spitefully use you and wrongly accuse you, Jesus said in Luke chapter 6 on the Sermon on the Plain. Good for you. But, you know, there might be a day for you like Jacob where you say, you know what, now that we're having this conversation, we're going to say it, and we're going to put it out there, and no one can refute it. You don't like to say and have to say what Jacob had to say here, but know this, he had the high moral ground. And there wasn't one person that worked for Laban 
that would contend that or argue with that. And there wasn't one person who worked for Jacob and say, well, that's not really true. Everyone just like, whoa, this is so heavy right now. Like both camps, this is so heavy what's going on. Jacob said what he had to say. 20 years of putting his head down and keeping his mouth shut. And after all these false accusations and then being said, being told that you took my household gods, he's like, I'm going to tell you, I've held my peace for 20 years, but I'm speaking now. And I'm speaking truth, and he holds a high moral ground. So if you ever see this day in your life, by God's grace, may you be holding the high moral ground. Amen? Yeah, amen. Because you don't want to be, you can't talk like this if you don't have the high moral ground. Otherwise, you're just a fool like Proverbs talks about. You earn this through humility and praying for your enemies and loving people. And you don't take any pleasure in this. You think Jacob, Jacob's just trying to get where he's going. There's no pleasure in this. Like, oh, I told you so. That's the high moral ground never works that way. Because where there's pride, it doesn't really go with it. The high moral ground goes with humility and loving and praying for your enemies. And then there's an authority and God knows. Laban's just got a few more things to say and then we're wrapping it up. Verse 43, and Laban answered and said to Jacob, these daughters are mine. They're my daughters, and these children are my children, and this flock is my flock, and all that you see is mine. What can I do this day to these my daughters or their children whom they have borne? Now therefore come, let us make a covenant, you and I. Let it it be a witness between you and me. So Jacob took a stone, set it up as a pillar. Then Jacob said to his brethren, gather stones. And they took stones and made a heap, and they ate ate there on the heap. Laban called it Jagar Sahudatha, which is Aramaic. But Jacob called it Galid. And Laban said, There's a heap witness between you and me this day. And therefore his name was called Galid, also Mizpah, which is witness. Because he said, May the Lord watch between you and me when we're absent from one another. And if you afflict my daughters, or if you take other wives besides my daughters, although no man is with us, see, God is witness between you and me. Then Laban said to Jacob, Here is this heap, and here is this pillar which I've placed between you and me. This heap is a witness, and this pillar is a witness that I will not pass beyond this heap to you, and you will not pass beyond this heap and this pillar to me for harm. The God of Abraham, the God of Nahor, that, of course, is Abraham's brother, by whom which Laban is a descendant, the God of Abraham, the God of Nahor, the God of their father, judge between us. And Jacob swore by the fear of his father Isaac. Then Jacob offered a sacrifice on the mountain, called his brethren to eat the bread, and they ate bread and stayed all night on the mountain. Early in the morning, Laban arose, kissed his sons and daughters, and blessed them, then laid it, then Laban departed and returned to his place. Some people have to have the last word, don't they? Did you catch that? Some people just have to have the last word. Don't be that person. It's, it's all about Laban. He has to have the last word. These, these are mine. Your wives are mine. These, 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 these kids are mine. These grandkids are mine. Listen, if you learn anything as a grandparent, they are not your kids, right? Can I get a witness? All grandparents say yes and amen. Yes and amen. They are not your kids, grandparents. Because you're like, hey, if I don't even say that, you know, you just, it actually makes it easier too. Once you understand the rules of engagement, you're just like, hey, you know, it's just not, hey, it's, you know, it's just, hey, it's going to go the way it's going to go. They're not, and if you even go back to Genesis chapter Two, where it says, for this cause a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife. They are not your daughters. You gave them. I don't think of Leah as being my daughter in the sense that I have authority over her. She is under her husband's authority, Jacob. And it's the same for Hannah. That's why I wept so much when Hannah moved to Florida. 
because I knew that she, she knew she had to follow her potential husband and his calling, not him following her and hers. And I've wept more this week since the day I packed, the week that I packed up Hannah's room when she moved to Florida. I wept and I wept and I wept, but I gave her to the Lord and we rejoice in all that God's done in her life. But she's not mine. Nature husband, it's a new family like every generation, each generation, that's the way it works. So Laban just completely off. But that's how some people are. They're mine. It's mine. It was mine. You were nothing when you came to me. It's mine. It's me. It's mine. It's like, Laban's like, they're mine. They're mine. They're mine. We're going to build a pillar right here. Blah, 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 blah. I'm going to say it in Aramaic. And, and, and Jacob's like, Hebrew. Get the rocks. True to this. You know, just be who you are in your faith. Jacob's not moving. And who he is. And when Laban's like, hey, this is a witness. Don't you dare come back here. And like, like Jacob's really going to go back and take something from Laban, right? Like that has anything to do with the context of Laban. Like, just in case you're thinking that. And, and if you marry in it, just relax. Just let it go. Some people got to get the last word in. Do not be Laban. Do not be the person that has to get the last word in. It is hard to hold your peace after you've already spoken what's true and just take it. And I have to say, Jacob's taking it right here. It's a good example for all of us. It's like all of his co-workers, his wives are like, man, Laban's going to give it to him one more time. Laban's going to go around the track one more time. You ever have those family gatherings or have those things at work? The boss is going to rail you just one more time. Even though you explained what happened, even though you showed him what happened, they're, they're going to they're give it to you one more time. Some people can't help themselves. They have to have the last word. A mark of spiritual maturity is to not have to have the last word. And that's hard. When you walk away, you're like, wow. In the past, I would have said like, you know, like, then you kind of want to pat yourself on the back and then you have to fight pride, right? You're just like, wow, that's amazing. I just walked away from that. Like, I didn't, you know, like, and you get in the car and like five minutes later, like, oh man, I want to go back. I got something to say now. It's like, it's better you don't, right? (laughs) You can revisit it later when you're more spirit filled. But like some people, they got to have the last word. Laban's just like, blah, 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 and he's kissing the kids in the morning. Blah. Like he's probably saying stuff when he's leaving on the camels. Ah, don't forget this and that. Ah. You know, like just don't be that person. Jacob's like, <laughs> build the rock pillar, guys. Get the rocks. Let's break some bread. Let's worship God. What's he do in the middle of this? You see that? He worshiped God. He made a sacrifice. Hey, Let's break bread because we're in fellowship. The rest of this stuff, I don't even know what to tell you about it. <laughs> Uncle Laban, it, look, yeah, we'll meet him where he's at. We'll build, build this rock. Look at this beautiful rock thing. And he can call it Aramaic. We'll call it Hebrew, whatever. Let's build it. It's good. Let's have a sacrifice. Let's break bread. And in the morning, about 10 a.m., their camels are going that way. Our camels are going this way. And all will be good. Well, don't you want to say something? No, we don't need to say anything. Listen, there's a lot of life in this chapter. Are you with me? There is a lot of life in this chapter to be learned from for women and men of faith. So take it to heart. Be encouraged. You don't have to get the last word in. If you have to get a word in, make sure it's true and you're coming from the high moral ground, not with pride, but with humility and reality and the facts supporting your position. And... Don't steal the household gods, whatever you do, because that doesn't go over well. Uh, and 
When God says go, it might be messy, but you got to go. Amen?